Hey everyone, welcome to the Access Podcast. It's Jake, and today we're going to be reading Colossians 3. And to read it along with me and talk about it, I have Kimmy. Hey. Abby. Hello. And Alec. What's up, y'all? The one and only. He got a fresh haircut today. He's looking real good. Stop it. Whoop, whoop. Okay, we're going to be Colossians. Uh, Colossians. We're going to be talking about Colossians 3, 18 through 25. Uh, before we jump into it, we're going to ta- uh, just kind of reference the context again, and we won't spend too much time on it, but we just want to make some comments about what we're reading and and the context to the verses that we're reading. We don't want to read it in isolation. We wanted to get the bigger picture of the book, the bigger picture of the New Testament, and then the bigger picture of the entire biblical story. And so the context uh, of this letter was Paul wrote it uh, to the church in Colossae, and these Christians were living in a Roman culture, uh, and in this culture, in the Roman culture, males or men dominated the families, even so that women and children were the property of the um, the father. And so it wasn't like co-equals. It wasn't like you're my son. It was literally property in which they had the ability to sell um, their family for whether they needed more money or they needed to go and work, like sell it as a bond servant so they could make more money. They could actually, it was not a, like a good system. And so that was the structure that they were living in. That's the Roman culture that they were living in. And as we read this, we'll read uh, about what's called bond servants in some translations. And so basically a bond servant is a slave. And so in that Roman culture, they had slavery. And Paul's going to be talking as we'll read to those slaves or bond servants who were in that culture. And so in this uh, text, Paul's giving like the basic but important instruction for Christian living in the Roman culture. If you remember, we um, the rest of the book was really talking about Gnosticism and Jewish legalism and it really um, refuting their perspectives. And this is more of like practical, like, okay, Christians, those are all the lofty ideas about Christ. Those are the lofty ideas about who Christ is and the essential ideas of who Christ is. But this is more about your lifestyle. And so this is uh, 18, Colossians 3, 18 through 25. You guys ready to go? Mm-hmm. All right, Alec, why don't you uh, read that for us? Cool. All right. So this is in the ESV Starting with 18, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Awesome. So what I'd like to do first after reading that is get your guys' take on, what do you think the the main takeaway from this passage is, or like the main idea, as this is, in a sense, a chunk of Colossians 3 that's kind of separate from the rest. So we can take the main idea of just these eight verses. Does anyone want to go first in sharing their main idea? The biggest thing that I see here is looking at, you know, wives submit to your husbands, children submit to your parents, you know, slaves submit to your masters. It's all about submitting and knowing that you're working for the Lord and not for like men. So you're not, you're like, or you're, living. Yeah, or living, living for men. Lord. It says like, you will receive the inheritance from the Lord. You're, you are serving the Lord Christ as in 
24, that's what it says. So it's like, it's not about, you know, the position that you were born into or the circumstances that you're in. It's about serving the Lord in, in everything that you're doing, no matter, because everybody's got different circumstances and some people's may look harsher than ours, or we may look at somebody else and think they got it easy, you know, but it's not about comparing. It's about working for the Lord and living for the Lord. That's good. That's good. I, I think it's just interesting in this passage as we talked about the context earlier that the male was the dominant figure in that culture in which he, in a sense, owned the women and the children. And in Paul is literally, he's compelling the Christians to be so countercultural and to be like, hey, this is what the norm is. And everyone's going to look at you weird. Everyone's going to look at you and be like, what the heck? You're letting your wife do that. What the heck? You're, let, you know, you're talking to your children like that. What's wrong with you? Are you soft? Are you weak? You know what I mean? Like, look at your kid disrespect you like that. You know, there's all these like voices that, and remember, they're communal living. It's not like you're living in your house separate. It's like, no, everyone can see how you're parenting. Everyone can see how you treat your wife. And he's calling them to live so counterculturally, as in wives, instead of being resentful in a sense, maybe if that's, I would imagine that's how they'd feel if they're being treated like property. Instead of being resentful, Christian women submit willfully to your husband. And that's the direction to the woman. And then the man is like, husbands, love your wives. Don't be harsh with them. And this is like this countercultural idea. And then children, obey your parents. And then fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And then he goes into bond servants. And then basically all of it is just countercultural. All of it is so kingdom, although he's not Paul's not condoning save slavery, but he's saying, "Hey, do all of these things not because, not because uh, they're the easy thing to do, but do all these things because when you do them, you're not doing them unto men; you're doing them unto God. And this is the righteous or the the holy or the right thing to do in your culture in the sight of God." Yeah. Um, for me, what really stands out is like the radical reconstructing of the power structures at the like the smallest unit of like everybody expected Jesus in the kingdom to be like the the gigantic restructuring of like we're on top and Rome is on the bottom now yay but how minute and like the small scale that he is of like you and yourself and your family you are going to live after kingdom you are going to model this kingdom here and now no matter the structures that you're in and so how small scale and micro it is but how powerful that change and that restructuring around the kingdom is yeah that's really powerful I like that. It's just, it's not so many times we're like, we want to change the world. You know, we want, (laughs) we want to change the world and we wanted God to come down and change everything about everything. And he's saying, no, just like change your life, the way that you treat your family, the way that you treat others, the way that you treat your employees, the way that you treat your boss, the way that you treat literally everyone. It's like the kingdom um, puts a demand in a sense, not in like a, a authoritarian way, but a demand as in the essential way. He puts a demand on all of us in every part of our lives and all of our relationships. So when you say like, Abby, when you were saying like power structures, do you want to unpack that a little bit? So he's reshaping the power structures. Sure. Something that um, has been really big to me is learning about um, the choice of the divining good and evil for ourselves and how that wasn't just a garden thing. That's a daily thing for all of us. And whether it was American slavery that we all know, like we learned a lot about or the power structures we haven't learned a lot about. Um, it's a very micro decision of every human choosing that I'm defining good and evil. Good is what benefits me and my safety and my security and my power. Um, and evil is what threatens that. And so you see that in cultures throughout, 
whether it's in Africa or Rome, and this is specifically a Roman family of somebody using their power, usually the man more physically powerful than the woman, somebody using their advantage and their privilege to amass um, unfair um, hold over others and in a way that doesn't represent Christ in their relationships or in their families. And it's um, you see it throughout the cycles of humans from like the Cain and Abel from the very beginning of the break of human relationships. It's humans defining um, good and evil based on what benefits them. And so mm. you see that show up in a lot of power structures, whether it's small scale in families or large scale in dictatorships and governments. It's the human condition of defining good and evil for ourselves, and it shows up in power structures. And so the, what Paul's saying here then is he's saying like, hey, wake up, you're in a power structure. Mm -hmm. Whether you like it or not, you're in a power structure in which there are um, good and evil that don't line up with scripture. Even if they seem good and they benefit us, God's saying in this example to the Christians in Colossae, like, yo, men, even though it's like easy for you just to be the boss, you can't be. You know, you this is how you need to act in family. And even though it's easier just to tell your kids what to do and be harsh with them, he's like, that's not the way Christ would do it. There's a new way in the kingdom. And and what we can, I, I, what I apply from that is like, okay, what structures am I living in or what influences have influenced me to see the world and define good and evil that God hasn't defined good and evil as? And how can I like renew my mind to view the world as more kingdom and, you know, view the world in a more scriptural lens or a more just righteous lens instead of just being taken on by the story that I've been sold in the context that I grew up in. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that a lot. I feel like I could talk about that for way more, way longer. And we'll probably mm -hmm. jump back into it, but um, we're going to kind of move on and we're going to kind of pick apart little pieces of this and we're going to just have a conversation. So I'm going to read uh, verses 18 through 19, and then we're going to talk about it a little bit. So verse 18 says, wives submit to your husbands as, f as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And so this, uh, verse is very unpopular in America with the feminist movement and with and with just a lot of people. It's just it's not a fun set of verses because wives submit to your husbands is something that is um, just not easy for people to hear in our culture specifically, but here it is in verse 18 through 19. So let's talk about it. Let's let's have a, a conversation about these two verses. Wives Submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And so my question uh, really is, what does that mean? What does it mean for wives to submit? What does it mean for, really that's the more controversial or the thing that we want to unpack. Husbands loving your wives is crucial and we'll talk about that, but I want to throw it out. What does that mean? Or what conversation can we have around uh, wives submitting to husband? I'll, I'll ask this question first. Why do you think it's so controversial in our culture? Or it's almost like taboo, like to to infer that uh, the wife should submit to the husband. I think it's because, well, throughout like American history, you have this background of like men, like 
I don't want to relate it to money, but you have this example of like the glass ceiling where women can't make as much as men. And, you know, back in, you know, not not too many decades ago, not even that many years ago, like the wife stayed home and the, the man went out and found one job and worked it for 60 years and then they died together. You know, like that's just kind of it's not like that anymore. And I think just with the the. Uh, progression of what like where our culture has gone we have this new focus on like equality and the empowerment of women and we've you know began to as a culture kind of take that idea and like okay we need to lift women up we need to you know you know feminism we need to have all these things for women which you know is it not necessarily a bad thing but people get a bad taste in their mouth when they look at this verse and be like okay this reminds me of you know the glass ceiling where i can't make as much as a man Mm. i can't be the head of the household. I can't make decisions. I can't, you know, be a a powerful person. You know, I can't be on top. And so that's why I think there's so much pressure and so much just, uh, like I was saying, a bad taste about this verse because, you know, women and men look at it and say, wives submit to your husband. And then it causes the stress where it's like the man will say, well, you need to submit. And she's like, nope, women empowerment. I'm not going to submit to you. Mm Hmm. Um, for me, I think it rings pretty similar to like in my mind of it's like, are we all in agreement here that men, like out of all the genders, men are often throughout history, the one that is in a position of power over the women to abusive standards that throughout history, right? Yes, that's very yes, fair. <laughs> it's not often that's the other not way controversial. around because of the power that's usually at play. Um, and so for me, I kind of think of it as if like, like one biblical literacy is super important and like the Bible has been misused for years and years to um, really enable a lot of unhealthy things. And um, if you take one verse out of anywhere and then just live your whole life on it, like that could be an abusive man telling his wife, like you, you're supposed to submit to me um, rather than like the list of scriptures you could take out of context. Like one I just found the other day of like, we will eat bread until we go to the grave. And I'm like, well, that's it. Gluten-free is unbiblical. Like, I found it. (laughs) Um, But just that um, it's been misused so much. And anytime you're talking about something that's been, like, so used to hurt people or to traumatize people, you have to be really, you have to be careful. Um, And for me, it kind of, I think of, like, if the, um, again, I'm no philosopher. I haven't studied this, but. If like, Not yet. <laughs> if the Jewish people who came out from under an oppressive power structure of Egypt and then like there was this people saying like, no, serve Egypt. And you're like, do you not understand my years of fighting, my years of trying to find my identity? Do you not understand this? And it's like, nope, you're supposed to serve Egypt. It says this here. Um And we as humans can react pendulum swing like I'm never going back to servitude. I'm never going back to slavery. And Jesus is this radical in the middle of like you can serve and be free. You can have a servant's heart where if Egyptian walks up to you, you can wash their feet, even though the years of trauma, even though the years of history. And um, so it's not just a blanket thing we can apply anywhere. Um, But it's that like radical walk that we all do of figuring out following the way of Jesus and outlined in the scriptures and what that looks for us to radically submit, not in an enabling way, um, checking it with community and our understanding of it with community. And they can see if it's enabling you to stay with an abusive spouse or something like that. I don't know if that's healthy, but um, yeah. So to me, it's just, there's a lot of um, history of misuse and trauma there where you have to be aware of that. That's a part of the conversation when you talk with people.
the thing that stands out to me most is like, I think a lot of people when they read this think, as a wife, I have no say. Mm -hmm. Which is like, when you submit to your husband, it's not that you don't have any say, it's just that like, they have like more, and it, like as their job, like they're supposed to love you. And so in a part of that, they listen to you. But like, I believe like wives still have a say, like, it's just, you're not like the leader of that relationship. And I think a lot of people get it wrong because when they think of like submitting to them, they think all power is stripped away when I submit. Yeah, Abby, what you had said earlier resonated with me a lot, which was it's been misused so much and so we almost throw it away. And I have the opposite response if it's been misused, then we need to teach the correct use. And I think the question that we can have a conversation on, I'm open to different, differing opinions about, um, is the wives, cause there's other interpretations and there's other perspectives of like, um, co-equal and the man doesn't have to be the head, you know what I mean? And in that, that, you know, there's different cultural things that people can take out of the context of the different passages and make a case for, for equality in the marriage and, and not have defined roles. So if I can throw out some big words that you might may not understand, but there's like egalitarianism, which is where it says there is no gender, there are no gender roles in marriage. It's more based on personality and it's more based on competence. And so, but as long as we're following Christ, it doesn't matter who takes the role of making the money or taking care of the kids. But they're both egalitarian, egalitarianism still serves Christ, but kind of has more grayed lines or a gray perspective on roles. Whereas if I can use the word complementarian, so that's a that's a, a way that we view gender roles in marriage specifically, they would say, no, men and women are equal, completely equal, and but they have different roles. So similar to how on like a football team, you have different positions. It's not that anyone's better than the other. It's just that you, you play a different role or on a basketball team or in other situations or in, in a work environment. You know, you might have people who do different jobs, but it doesn't mean that they're more valuable or important. And so just in the marriage relationship, that would be what's called complementarian, which is you have a gender role, man, who's the head, and you have gender role, woman, who's the... Uh, submits in a support to the man, but they're equal in their value and in the, that they're image bearers of God. And even so, the complementarianism isn't that isn't headship domineering. Biblical complementarian or biblical marriage, not biblical. I should, I should say the marriage. The biblical definition and perspective from the complementarian view is that men and women lead together that the man would love his wife as Christ loved the church so that hear her, understand her, love her, lead her, but ultimately he's the one leading. And then the egalitarian would take more of the approach of like, no, we do this together. And sometimes I make the decisions and sometimes you make the decisions and, you know, I'll work and you stay home with the kids. And there's different, there's different, uh, there's just a little bit more freedom in the roles where complementarian, which is a more, a conservative view of the Bible would say that gender roles are specific and they're defined clearly. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, what are the diff? So this might go off on a little bit of a rabbit trail that we can edit out, but like the different views on our interpretation of the scripture, complementarian, egalitarian, egalitarianism, egalitarianism. Well, wow, that's a mouthful. Yeah. Um, but then I, I'm thinking of like eschatology too, and the view of end times and how people still disagree on that. And there's 
I know there's like the super easy names like post millennialism and like all of those things. Millennial, but there's like super serious names that I don't remember what they are that put like read this scripture but all think differently on it. And I think a big question that we often come to is how if we disagree on this, like, is it a doctrinal issue that like Jesus won't let you into heaven if you thought that your wife could go to work? Yeah. Or is it like you can follow Jesus and you'll both be in heaven, but one was egalitarian and one was complementarian. One was I don't know if I yeah. So I so I actually listened to a message from Matt Chandler. If you know who Matt Chandler is, and he did one on this whole topic of like gender roles, egalitarianism, patriarchy, and then feminism, and then basically goes through all of the different um, extremes, but the middle ground. And where he landed in his message is that. If you could th- think of like a Venn diagram, which is two circles and they overlap in the middle. And so he says that complementarianism and egalitarianism can meet in the middle in which that they're both, they both have a scriptural case for both of them. So like the conservative view isn't necessarily, I, that's why I caught myself earlier, like the biblical case, you mm-hmm. know, it's like, no, there are ways to biblically get to the point where egalitarianism is an option. And so they have common ground in the middle. And what he had referenced at the end of the message, which I encourage you can go look it up on YouTube. It's Matt Chandler. It's probably about um, gender roles or uh, family roles or marriage or the woman's role in the family or something like that. Um And so where he landed was, though, both views must be rooted in submission to scripture, not Mm. in feminism or not in patriarchy, if that makes sense. So there's a way to get to egalitarianism, which is more socially constructed, right? Which is like, you won't tell me what to do. My rights, you know what I mean? I'm an equal, you know, like I, you know, woman, you know, woman in power and, and let's fight for women and. In women, right? I mean, feminism started off as an amazing movement, you know, and now it's just taken a little bit of a turn that I would say, personally, I just uh, disagree with. And I think it's gone a little too far, but it, it's it's done so much for um, helping women rise up and, and, and take places of influence and have influence in our culture, which I think is beautiful. Um, but as we talk to family, this isn't talking about culture and jobs this is talking about your family and so does that answer your question at all Mm -hmm. and so how do we view that and i would say from my perspective some people would disagree with my perspective but my perspective is you can get to both places scripturally as long as there's a good faith effort of respecting one another and going to the scriptures yeah and not it being about the feminist movement in america and it's more about okay i see this in scripture Mm -hmm. that makes sense yeah it's like number one submission to christ and then this is second, like we jump to the end and say, wives, submit to your husbands, but we just jump past, put to death for what is earthly in you. Do not lie to one another. Put on then God's chosen one, like this whole story about submitting to Christ. And then after that, this is how that shows in your relationships. But number one, it's submittance to Christ and to scripture. Yeah, totally. And so as we talk about wives, so what I kind of want to ask next is, so when you go, wives, submit to your husbands. I want to talk about this word submit a little bit. So when the when when Paul here is, is instructing them, submit, what does submit to your husband mean? So can I make a few observations? And as I'm making observations, I want you guys just to think of different comments or ask questions while I'm while I'm interrupting me if you can't, if you want. So the first thing I notice in submission, submitting to your husbands is Paul, and so God is not instructing women to submit to men. 
Okay. Paul's instructing wives to submit to one man. And notice that when Paul's writing this, he's saying wives. So he's speaking to women. And Paul can make this case because he's an apostle and he wrote scripture. But Titus talks about how men aren't even supposed to teach and talk to women about submitting. It's actually older women are supposed to teach the younger women. The older women are supposed to say, hey, here are the nuances of submission. Right? Older women who have experienced it and wrestled with it are supposed to come along younger women and say, here's what it really means to submit. This is maybe what our culture view of, culture's view of it is. And so it's not even my job as a male pastor to necessarily outline this is what submission looks like. It's the women's job to do that, if that makes sense. And so he's talking to wives. Notice that he's not talking to husbands. He's not, he doesn't say, husbands, make sure your wives submit. So this is an independent um, decision by the woman to submit. It is not the man's decision to force his wife to submit. It is a free will decision as an obedient daughter unto Christ. As he references later that when, we, when a wife would submit, and we can talk about what that means, but when a wife would submit... It doesn't. It, she's not submitting to to her husband. She's actually submitting to Christ, as it talks about later. Is that whatever you do, do it as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that the Lord, uh, you will receive an inheritance as your reward. And so you're not doing it because he's better or more important or is smarter. The woman or the wife submits on her own free will because she has. Um, she has decided in her heart to be obedient to Christ in that, if that makes sense. And so from my standpoint, a husband, it is sin to talk to your wife about submitting. It is sin. In rare cases, you can get a pastor or a friend or a, or a other leader to come along to have a, maybe another woman that she's to talk about, hey, what does it look like for us to submit, right? Now, a husband can say, what does submission look like? But it, it is sin to tell your wife to submit because that is the that is the antithesis of Christ-like living and if we're supposed to love our wives as Christ as Ephesians talks about love your wives as Christ loves the church Jesus doesn't come around to people saying hey submit he offers himself and says I'm going to give all the love to you. I'm going to give, I'm going to sacrifice everything for you. I'm going to put my desires, needs, and everything aside so that you can have the best life that you could ever have. And then the love that you give, submission is a response, if that makes sense. And so I say that pretty starkly because you're right. It has been misused, Abby, like so much. And so I think it's it's crucial that when we're talking about this, we don't skip over it because we're afraid that we're going to get we're going to get people upset with us because we're talking about gender roles, but we're clear on the sin side of men first, because that's where it's been most abused, if, that, if you're following on that. So that's the first thing I'd say is, or not the first thing, I literally said like nine things. So that's the, <laughs> what's the, what I'd say about that passage is that it's a free will decision on the daughter of God, on the Christian woman to submit. But even though we can talk about what does submit actually mean. And so... As we, as we look at that word submit uh, in the Greek, it actually, it actually connotates and includes with it almost like, a, um, like an army, so a different rankings in, in, a, in, a, uh, 
in army. And so it'd be like a um, sergeant corporal. It'd be someone who has just different role. And so it's not better than, but it's a different role. And so when you say submit, it is saying, I trust and I'm going to submit myself to the leadership of the husband. But then as it says later in verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And so when she submits to the husband, the husband who has a free will of his own decides to lay down his life as Ephesians 5 talks about and says, okay, I'm not going to take advantage of this submission, but I'm actually going to submit myself. Because Ephesians 5, if you want to guys go over there, it says, husbands, it says you're supposed to submit to one another and that your body's not your own, that your body belongs to her and her body belongs to you. And that is the... Um, the way that God and Paul is describing Christian marriage or describing marriage, but there are nuances with egalitarianism, complementarianism, but that's where I would say these scriptures are talking about. There's other scriptures that we could, that we could bring up that would be interesting to, that would not contradict, but that would add more of a gray perspective to those specific gender roles, if that makes sense. Any questions on that or any comments on that? Does that help? Does that hurt? Does that, do you guys already know that? I think it's just a picture that a lot of people don't get. So many times I think people will look at this verse and then immediately just pit the husband and wife against each other. Or like, cause that's all they want to do is, is decide, you know, who was on top, who's better. And, you know, marriage, you know, there's supposed, it's supposed to be a union, you know, the two become one, it's one flesh. It's not that one person now has dominion over the other it's a team and just as you were saying like the the perfect example of like what a husband should be is how christ loved the church and so if we're only looking at it you know like abby was saying if we're cherry picking these verses where if we're just looking specifically at specifically at this one verse where it's like wives submit obviously you know we've been going through this whole bible in context thing to know the context and to know that this letter was written specifically to this church so there must be a specific a specific reason that paul was writing it there must be that the men were treating the women harshly and not loving their wives and not you know i don't know if they read the letters to ephesians yet i don't even know chronologically if those <laughs> letters were out yet but it's like i think just as culture we look at this one verse and we we, we come to this this decision that somebody has to be on top when it's really about unity and submission both ways and the man laying down his life to love the woman and in return she does the same she submits to him and then we have equal submission and we have the design that i think god intended i think for me um something that's really big is just that it's like it's able to be talked about and discussed and disagreed on like that scripture is able to be disagreed on like well I think it means this and I think it means this and it's not just black and white like no this means that you have to submit to your husband no matter what and like that's what you have to do um and so being raised up with this understanding not necessarily raised up but like um getting this understanding in our culture from that just what the bible says is what you do rather than like this was written to a certain people. This is like, it was a certain context. How does this apply to us now? How do we follow the way of Jesus? And if you're cherry picking verses, you have other problems too than just this. And so um, just the fact that like followers of Jesus can wrestle with this and disagree and it's okay. 
um, and it could play out differently in your lives, I think is something that's really, really big to me. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so let's talk about that. So what happens when, oh, oh, you know, does the Bible have anything to say about when a wife or a woman is married and the man, the man is an unbeliever, not a Christian, or he is misbehaving, mistreating, you know, abusing, that's emotional. The question is, okay, should, so the woman just has no, does the woman have no um, power or ownership of her life to do something about that? Or should, does she have to be a doormat? That's, I think that's the concern that we have when we say, okay, well, okay, good godly woman, mm-hmm. you just got to submit, you know? And so what do we do about that? What are your thoughts on that? And I, I think there is a scripture, if you guys want to go up to First Peter 3, there's, there's an, there is a scripture that speaks to it, but I don't think it fills in the gray areas, but I do think it fills in the unbelieving areas. And so as you guys formulate your thoughts on that, it says, it says uh, a similar script, uh, verbiage. It says, wives, be subject uh, to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word of God, they may be won over without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Um, and it says, do not let your adorning be external, uh, the braiding of hair and putting on the gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight is very precious. And so it, the Bible does speak to, to if you have an unbelieving husband now submission does that mean you do everything he says even though he's an unbeliever is that you put up with abuse that's not what that's saying it is saying though is is that respectful and um you could say sub, not submissive but respectful and honoring behavior towards your your spouse or a, a woman's husband even in the midst of his misbehavior is is glorifying to god and is actually how he may be won over to christ not by our words, but by our actions. And I would say that does not only go one way. That goes both ways. As in Ephesians 5, Christ is talking to the men, uh, men or husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That means if, if the wife is misbehaving, if the wife is, is not in a healthy place, if the wife is making, in a sense, their life miserable, the husband just doesn't have the freedom to go and be indifferent, but in order to bring glory to God and being obedient to Christ, he loves his wife even in the midst of her misbehavior. And so it's kind of like a, it's a joint thing. And I think as we talk about this, I, I come back to the place of it's been abused so much. And I come back to the place of, of men have the power structure in this setting. And so when the wives have to do that, it seems unfair. You know, it seems like, why is that the case, God? You know? And I think those are real questions, and I think we can search those things out and have more conversations. I don't think we'll probably get to it today because we didn't come prepared, but there is a case for egalitarianism. I just don't have that those scriptures in front of me, but I know there is one. I've heard them. Mm-hmm. I, a big question is, I wonder, we don't have the answers, but just the big question of like, Paul was talking to a patriarchal society where men held the power, and... um that if he was talking to like we know a lot of the things he was talking in unideal circumstances so bond servants it's like well is it 
is that ideal? Do we have slaves? And it's like, no, he was talking to people with slaves, though. And so he was talking to a patriarchal society. Women submit within this. You are like you're radically changing it with your submittance to Christ in this system is if he was in a matriarchal society, would it be husbands? You don't have the power in this society. You're not a part of the power structure. Submit and submit to Christ and you will be changing things slowly in the micro. And so wondering at that is the question, which I'm not saying that we have any of the answers here, but just like, is it a matter of it's the unideal, this side of eternity, talking to a patriarchal society where men did have the power that women do submit because one woman fighting isn't going to fix anything, but changing the system through her submittance to Christ. Ever, submittance? Submittal? I don't Submission. know. Submission. Thank you. <laughs> Make it up words. Submission to Christ is changing the systems as we um, join together with other believers in the body of Christ as we submit in whatever unideal system we are in, whether it's a dictatorship or a um, society with unequal systems. We are we get to change it with how we follow Christ. Um, and that's a really cool thing to me about the kingdom is it's like, it's not only if you are in a system or a government that does everything you always want it to do and never tells you what to do. That's, that's a weird sentence. I was going to say, it never tells you what to do. That's wrong. Edit that out, Alec. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, that it's applicable everywhere um, in the here and now on this side of eternity. That's a big question. It is a big question. It changes. If it was in a matriarchal system, mm-hmm. would he have said something different? I haven't done the I haven't done the research. Maybe I, I'll go into it. But I know, is it Corinthians? Church in Corinth was a matriarchal system, so it's more matriarchal. It's probably mm-hmm. more egalitarian, or in the sense, much more co-equal. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'll have to dig into that. I don't have an answer for you. Mm-hmm. But I, I what what comes to my mind, and maybe I this is just my upbringing and my view coming out, which is I am a complementarian. And so I, I hold to that perspective more, but I, but I'm not dogmatic and I don't understand a galley. I do understand egalitarians. I just have my own perspective. Mm -hmm. And so I personally would go to like Genesis three and in the beginning, in the sense he created, not that he's better, he created Adam and then Eve. And then even when um, I'm trying to pull it up right now in, in Genesis three, once they fell, so after this is after the fall. So after they've they've eaten the fruit and they've lost right everything that they had in the Garden of Eden. Um, this is what God says to the woman. He says, "I'll surely multiply your pain and childbearing, and in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you." And so I've heard some people say, well, that's the fall. Mm -hmm. That's the fall. Christ came to redeem. And I'd say, oh, I think that's an interesting concept. And I'd love to have a conversation about that. But I look at that and I go, okay, I can hear that. But even in this, um, he says, in the fall, your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, that is the fall. And I don't think that's God's best design. And maybe I'm making a, a... case for egalitarianism in that in that verse maybe i am interesting i'm (laughs) processing this with you right now anyway there's that verse right there Mm -hmm. i like that we can wrestle with it and we cannot know the answers yeah kim you've been silent you want to say anything i'm just taking it in (laughs) i'm loving it lots of big words that i'm learning (laughs) 
it's good to learn uh, mm-hmm. big words. Yeah, it is good. So let's uh, let's just wrap this up. I was hoping to get into the bond servant slavery type mm-hmm. thing, but maybe at a later time. Not now. <laughs> Overall, though, like let's just give some of our uh, let's give some applications maybe that this passage can bring to us apart from the big gender role uh, conversation. Let's talk about some personal applications that someone might take from this passage. Um, and so I'll, I'll give mine first and then that'll give you guys some time. And then after I give mine, Alec, you go, then Abby, then Kimmy. Okay. Just your applications that you might take from this. And so my application um, from these scriptures are, is that no matter what our lot is in life, we're to do it under, do it unto God without complaining. And no matter where we are in life, no matter what situation, God's grace is enough and that we can do everything unto Jesus and that there's a reward for having positive attitudes, being gracious and being kind to um, people who may have authority over us and may mistreat us. But we, like it says in verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. I think for me, um, it's pretty simple, but looking at the whole passage, you know, from the father or the husband, the wife, the children, and the bondservant, it's like submitting to Christ will always yield the best results. Um, whether that's, you know, you're the, the wife submitting to the husband or the husband submitting to the wife, like you're submitting to Christ first, you know, whether you're single, married, working a job, unemployed, it's like, I think it's very nuanced and you will be, um, led to make different decisions by the leading of the Holy Spirit in every situation. Um, and I don't think that we can really generalize too many things because then we just alienate people, you know, and then we, we miss the point, but also, you know, it's not taking these verse these verses out of context and trying to pit, pit people against each other. It's about being um, submissive to Christ in all that you do, whether it's relationships, jobs, you know, careers, hobbies, whatever it is, submitting to Christ is always going to give you the best result. Mm-hmm. For me, the personal application is that that question that I have that we all have as humans every day is that like, do I hold the definition of good and evil, the power of life and death and, um, the Bible project letter to Colossians that they spell out and they draw it all through. They um, show the man above his family with the wife serving him and said like they held the power of life and death and just how I can give that up today in the way that I defend my own rights and self and perspective and my own um, uh, power. And I'm giving that up to Christ first and trying to seek out and follow him and that this Um, what we're doing here, um, meditating on the scriptures, wrestling with it, um, taking this letter and seeing how it applied to them and then what that means for us 2,000 years later following Christ, um, how this is a big part of how this impacts our day-to-day as humans here in the 21st, 21st century. I never understood that. (laughs) 21st century, but we're 2020. Yeah. (laughs) Don't get me started. Okay. But yeah, here and now in this day in 2021. For me, I think it's um, just a lot of like instruction of no matter what role like you are in at the moment, like as a child, like obey your parents for the Lord. When you're a wife, like submit for the Lord. So just putting that perspective um, and just that priority of no matter what you're doing, do it for the Lord because he should be like 
the overall like submission of your life. Like he is our core and everything that we do, we should do for him and for the growth of the kingdom of heaven. Absolutely. Well, everybody, thanks for tagging along today on the podcast. Jake, thank you for guiding us through this conversation. Kimmy, Abby, thank you again for being here. We appreciate it. We hope this blessed you guys, and we will see you next time on the Access Podcasts.